verse 36, as we look at prayer in Gethsemane. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Father, for a few moments as we talk a little bit about prayer and prepare our hearts to spend a little time in your presence, we want your cloud of glory to descend in this place. Father, may we never leave this place like we came. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If we follow Jesus' life and career, then we know his journeys took him to a lot of different places. And from the cradle to the empty tomb, that journey was somewhat of a meandering path. Let's not forget that when he was an infant, he ended up in Egypt, then Nazareth, and from there he ended up in Capernaum where He launched that ministry, had those disciples with him. People were envious, they were jealous, there were conspiracies to kill him. But he still healed the sick and preached the kingdom of God and changed lives. Babies were excited about him. Young people enjoyed his presence. And no matter where he went, his disciples were following him. He even gave them power to do some of the things that he did. There was a time when after one of his teachings that some of the disciples turned and walked away. Jesus asked the question, will you leave also? They said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We've all seen people leave. We've all seen people turn from God. It is never a beautiful picture when people slide away from the Lord. But people have their reasons. All of them are insufficient, but people still have their reasons from turning uh, from the Lord. And just like as it occurred in, I believe, John chapter 6, the people walked away from him because of a misunderstanding. They couldn't grasp what he was teaching. But now we follow Jesus' path and we see that verse 36 says we are just a few hours or so from his crucifixion. And Jesus comes with them, his disciples. The preceding verse, Peter had already said, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'm really, I'm willing to die for you. The Bible even says in that same verse, all the disciples likewise made the same affirmation. We'll die for you, Lord. We'll never leave you. But I'm impressed with the fact that through Jesus many travels and through all of the difficulties that he faced, that he made it to Gethsemane with 11 of the 12. He still had 11 disciples with him. Now that 12th one, of course, he had gotten up and left, but let's think about this. 
Some time before this, Jesus was at his final meal with them, and the scripture makes it very plain that Jesus put a towel around himself, got a tub of water, got down on his knees in front of all of his disciples and washed all 12 of these men's feet. He even washed the feet of the one that was going to betray him. He washed the feet of Judas. Could you do that? Would you be willing to do that? But see, if you're going to make it to Calvary, your pathway is going to take you through Gethsemane. And if you're going to make it to Gethsemane, you're going to have to be willing sometimes to humble yourself to deal with people who have betrayed you and hurt you. Judas left Jesus. The other disciples stayed with him. But here he is now with the Lord And the disciples are side by side with him as they are walking across that valley that leads to the Mount of Olives in order to come to this place called Gethsemane. Jesus never forsook them. He's never forsaken you. Every step you take, the king is with you. You walk with him, you trust him and believe that no matter where you go throughout Israel, no matter where you go on planet Earth, you need to know that the king is walking with you. That there's no place you can go where the footprints of Christ won't travel with you. Well, what was Gethsemane? This was a little area by the Mount of Olives. And of course, when we think of olives, we think of the oil that comes from the olives. And when we think of Gethsemane, we think of the meaning of the word, which was the place of crushing. This was where the oil press was. And this is where Jesus had to go because, as the Gospel of John said, he oftentimes resorted to this place. Jesus was a man of prayer. That was his habit. Mark chapter 1 says that he would rise up a great while before day and go into a solitary place and pray. Luke chapter 6 says that sometimes Jesus would pray all night long. Do you have a place where you go and spend time with the king? You have a room. You have a time when it's just you and God and nobody else that's intruding into your time with the king. Jesus had that. And because that was his habit, because that was his custom, the disciples automatically knew that's where he was going. And that's why Judas knew where to find Jesus with the mob. He came and found the man of God in a prayer meeting, talking to the king. Why did Jesus have such a powerful ministry? It's because all of it took place in between the prayer meetings. Why did Jesus have such a tremendous ministry of love and forgiveness? It's because he lived his life in the prayer meetings. Gethsemane is a place where you have to come face to face with the death self. You've got to mortify the members of your flesh. You've got to wrestle with the will of God as Jesus was going to do. Not my will, but thy will, O God. This is where you come to face the fact that God's will is much more preeminent than your personal desires. And it's in Gethsemane that you walk out of there knowing that. Because all of us have desires. We all have things we want to do. But I'm telling you right now, what's most important for your life is for Jesus Christ to be manifested in your life. You have to die so that he can live. Your desires have to be crucified so that his will can be fulfilled in your life. And are you willing to allow the Lord to bring you to that place of Gethsemane? 
You can take other people there, but they're never going to be able to experience what God is working on in your life privately. I'll never know what the Lord is saying to your heart and whispering to you, and you'll never know what God is doing in my heart. But I do know this. Every Christian has a Gethsemane. And because the gospel says that Jesus went there more than once, I know this is part of our lifestyle of sanctification. This is the Holy Spirit applying his word to our lives. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's pulling us away from this so we can turn to that. We're putting off the old man so that we can put on the new man. That's every day. Because until that, that olive is crushed, other people are never going to be able to enjoy that oil. And until God deals with your flesh and God deals with your will and God deals with our selfishness and stubbornness, other people are never going to be able to enjoy the ministry and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There has to be a time of crushing. Now, what that looks like for you may differ from your neighbor. But all of us have that place where we know we're facing a difficulty. You see what's up ahead. You know what's down the road. You don't necessarily want to face it, but it produces sorrow. Now we know Jesus being a human just like us, flesh, bone, body like us. He had emotions. The Bible tells us he was hungry, leaned up on a well and waited for some folks to come. Scripture tells us he was thirsty. Hanging up there on that cross, they gave him a sponge soaked in vinegar. Let him gnash his teeth on that. We know that he wept. He came to the outskirts of Jerusalem and wept because the people didn't understand the time of their visitation. We know he could become angry. The Gospel of Mark makes it very plain. We know that he could be happy. His disciples came back rejoicing because they had power over devils and could heal the sick. And the scripture says Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. But now he knows what's on the other side of Gethsemane. He knows there's a cross. He knows there's an empty tomb. He knows there's an ascension, but he can't get to either of those unless he comes through this place of prayer. There has to be a time of crushing. God, how are you going to work in my life to conform me to your image? He's going to do that by tearing us down so that he can build us back up. That's what Gethsemane is about. Scripture says he told his disciples, you sit here while I go pray yonder. All of the disciples were invited into Gethsemane. All of them were invited to travel with him into this garden. But they couldn't enter into his prayer. And in a few moments when we take time to pray and seek the face of God, nobody else is going to be able to enter into the wrestlings of God with your heart. And whatever attitudes that God may be dealing with you about, whatever's going on personally in your life, your neighbor's not going to know what's going on at all. Nevertheless, like Jacob wrestling with the angel, God will be dealing with you. That's what Gethsemane is about. This is a place that makes us better husbands, better men, better mothers, better wives, better people that are in the bride of Christ, better Christians. He said to his disciples, you stay here. I've got to go yonder and pray. Well, I I think it's interesting then that the eight stayed 
But then he took with him Peter, James, and John. Now, it was not unusual for him to allow those three to enter into other experiences with him. He raised somebody from the dead one time and took those three. But when it came to prayer, they had a tendency to go to sleep. They did. Mountain of Transfiguration. Jesus was powerfully being ministered to by Moses and Elijah. And those three fell asleep on top of the mountain. And when they woke up, Jesus was in the presence of these men of God. And they were talking about his death that would soon be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Why is it that people go to sleep on God in a prayer meeting? It's because the Bible says the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. You ever notice that when you commit to reading the Bible a little bit before you go to sleep and you say you're going to read a chapter or a half a chapter or something like that, that by the time you get to the second or third verse, your eyes are getting drowsy. And if you're not careful, you'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and that Bible will be on the floor somewhere with the pages ripped out or it might just be laying on your chest. That human body very often because of its weaknesses and because of the tiredness that we experience, it doesn't want to press through in order to seek God. But prayer is something you have to do as a discipline. You tell your body that you are going to submit to the will of God. I'm going into the presence of God and I don't care how tired you are. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Now, I know we have the discipline to do it because on any given day of the week, when you come in from work and you still have things to do around the house and you barely get to sleep by 11 o'clock, then the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. You've got to get ready to start the next day of work all over or chores and your body is exhausted and you don't want to get out of that bed. But you know what? You get up out of that bed and you go. You know why? Because you want a paycheck. You discipline that physical body for that natural reward. But when you consider our relationship with God and the spiritual blessings that come from being in his presence, God is anxiously, patiently waiting for us to come into his presence, to come talk to him. He says to those disciples, you come with me. And we're going to go and pray. I think that would have been wonderful just to have been in on one of Jesus' sessions of prayer. I wouldn't have had to been next to him, but if I could have just been a stone's throw away from him just to watch him, I would have been impressed. I'm sure I would have tried to get as close as I could to hear what he was whispering. Because in the Gospels, we have a few occasions where we know what he prayed. John 17, he lifted his eyes toward heaven. He prayed and talked to God. The disciples came to him one morning and said, we've seen you out here talking to the king. What are you saying to him? We want to learn how to pray. Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our father, which art in heaven. A few times we have a glimpse into the manner and method of his prayer. But folks, let's not be the kind of people that go to sleep on God and sleep through revival and sleep through a move of God and sleep through when God is trying to communicate with you. But to have your heart, your mind alert so that God can speak to you. You never know what God will say in a prayer meeting. 
You'll never know how the presence of God will manifest in a prayer meeting. Peter went up onto the top of a rooftop and while he prayed, he saw a vision. Everybody else was down preparing lunch. Paul went to sleep one night and in a dream, the Lord Lord came and stood by him and let him know you don't have to be afraid. Paul was praying one time and he saw in a vision a man coming to lay hands on him that he might receive the Holy Ghost. Over and over again, people have prayed. You don't know what's going to happen in your life tonight in prayer. But you should always be expectant. Expectant that God is going to come into the room and be right where we are. Why should we be the kind of people that believe that prayer is just an exercise to perform like somebody praying the rosary? But we should understand through our personal relationship with God that we're entering into our own Gethsemane and we expect the angel of the Lord to be there to strengthen us as he did Christ. And whatever you're facing, God knows what's coming down the road. You may be having to deal with one of the greatest crucifixions of your life here pretty soon. But God will help you. You may be passing through one of the most glorious moments of your life, but God would help you. And if you pray through, you'll find that God does wonderful things. Old folks used to talk about praying through. People don't use that phrase very often, but praying through just simply means you pray until God moves. And you don't stop praying. You don't pray and just say, well, I'm not going to pray a second time or a third time, because if I pray too many times, it's a sign of unbelief. You better read that parable about the lady that showed up at the judge's house. She came and stood outside his window and said, sir, I've been unjustly treated. I'm expecting some justice around here. I need help. That judge said, I'm not paying you any mind at all. She didn't mind. She walked around to the other window, saw a light on, start talking again. I need help. He turned all the lights out. She just marched around the city, letting that, marched around the house, letting that judge know I'm not leaving until you hear my complaint. And the Bible says not because that man feared God or had any respect for that woman, but because that woman wouldn't go away, he got up. And heard her cry. And then Jesus says, how much better is your heavenly father when it comes to listening to you? If you if you were laying in bed two o'clock in the morning, sound asleep, then suddenly those eyes open up, just wake up, just looking around. And there's not a phone ringing. And there's nobody trying to come through the window or come through the door. There's not a pain in your body. The alarm clock hadn't gone up, but you're just laying there in bed. Suddenly your eyes open up. You're wide awake. God wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. Now you can roll out of bed and spend that time with God, or you can decide, I I don't want to get up because I'm tired and I need this extra sleep, and you can roll around and twist and turn, but I'm telling you, you're going to wake up much more tired than you would have been had you gotten up and talked to God. Because you can sacrifice that hour, that half hour, that 15 minutes, that two-hour time frame with the king, and God can still give you in a two-hour period of sleep much more rest than you would ever get. If you had nine hours sometime. Yeah. Got to meet with God. And when people are praying, they need God to speak to them. Scripture says that for the churches in the book of Revelation, this phrase comes along. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. 
If you ever want your ear tuned to God, you start praying more. God will make you sensitive to his voice. And when God begins to deal with your heart and he brings a scripture to you or he whispers something inside your ear, you need to know you're you're supposed to respond to that because God wants to talk to you. That's where the blessing is. If we hear what he says, we can expect God to move. A very simple prayer. Very wealthy man one time owned a whole lot of steel industries on the East Coast, took a train to the West Coast. And somehow that train had engine problems, so it stopped for repairs in a very small town. And like most passengers got off and started walking around town, he decided that he would go ahead and walk up and down Main Street around some of the little uh, paths that they had there and, and off Off in one of the little communities or neighborhoods there, he saw a whole bunch of folks standing outside of a church. So he went down there. He assumed they were selling something. It was an auction. They were auctioning off that church. And this man stood out there in the middle of all of that, very wealthy, didn't know God, but just standing there. And he heard the auctioneer providing the bids. And finally, he just went on and purchased a church. He said he didn't have no need of a church. He certainly didn't want a church, but it was available and he was there. He outbid everybody else, got the church. Well, afterwards, somebody came up to him and said, sir, uh, we understand you just purchased a church. We'd like to know what your plans are. Well, that wealthy man was self-sufficient and arrogant. And stubborn, he said to that gentleman, what difference does it make to you what my plans are for the church building? I bought it. It's mine. Well, That gentleman said to that very wealthy man, he just said, sir, well, uh, inside the church, a few people of the congregation are in there on their knees praying because they weren't able to keep up the notes on this church, and they're in there praying that God would provide some kind of a miracle so that they wouldn't lose their building at all. And that's why I asked you, well, when he told that wealthy man that, God touched his heart. God touches the hearts of sinners. You do know that, right? And that sinner, having bought that place, turned around and deeded it right back to that congregation that had prayed. They wanted a miracle, and God brought one from the East Coast to the West Coast. You'll never know what God will do until you pray. But when you begin to pray, expect a miracle. Anytime God intervenes, that makes it supernatural. If it's supernatural, it's a miracle. I don't care how you describe it. People who want to say that God doesn't do things like that today, I say, what's the point of praying? If I'm praying, I'm asking him to do what I'm incapable of doing. Because if I'm capable of doing, I'm not praying about it. But if I cannot do it on my own and I need his help, and it then is accomplished by me through his grace, and I'm a tool, it's miraculous. And this is what I want you to see tonight as we enter into a time of prayer. Sister Phyllis, come on over here to the piano. But listen, you can take that chair and turn it into an altar. But remember, Jesus himself, he fell down on his face, prostrate in the presence of God and began to pray. 
Now, you're going to hear a whole lot of noise up here behind this pulpit because I know I'll be laying down here prostrate, crying out to God and talking to him. But you pray and you talk to God in the manner that you know how. If you need to stand, you stand. If you need to walk, you walk. If you're able to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to lay, you can lay. However, but let's not leave here tonight without having spent some time in the presence of God. Let's begin to pray. Heavenly Father.